morning, church. Let's stand together. Sometimes on this journey, get lost in my mistakes. It looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over. My story's just begun. Failure you won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Failure you won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Ooh, lay your burdens down. Ooh, here in the father's house, check your shame out.
of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my Lord.
his feet my savior on the cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down and joseph's tomb the people look forward to that day when we see our Savior face to face. Sometimes it's easy to forget that that's what we're working toward. That's our reward. 
Bible tells us that there's coming a day that we praise Him while we're here. Then there's coming a day that we will see our Savior face to face. We'll get to sit around His feet for endless time, worshiping the one who bled and died so that we could live. How many people look forward to that day? Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning and I want to, I'm going to ask Him to continue to bless our giving. I want to thank you so much for your continual support and, and your faithfulness uh, through giving online or uh, at the boxes at the, at the back of the auditorium. Uh, some of you, you, you give sacrificially and it's because of your giving that we're able to, to do the things that we're have been doing and we're going to do in this community. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on uh, this morning. But I'm so thankful that uh, God has put it in your heart to, to honor Him with your giving and to partner with us uh, to be able to show this community that there's a God that loves them, that there's a church that cares. So let's ask God to bless. Father, we come before you this morning. God, I'm so thankful, honored, and privileged to be able to to gather together in this auditorium with my friends and family. God, I pray that as we continue to worship you, God, out of our hearts, not out of obligation, but Father, as we worship you with our, our giving, God, I pray that you will bless it, and God, that you will use it for the upbuilding of your kingdom. God, that we can reach out to people who are lost and who are hurting. God, not so that our name can be built up. God, not so that the community could look at Gateway and, and lift us up. But God, as we lift you up, you've told us that you will draw people to you. God, that's what's important. It's people coming to the realization of knowing that life is better with you. Father, I pray as we go into your word, Father, that you will help us to hear what it is that you would speak to us this morning, not through my words. God, will you use me as a a vessel, God, to speak into the hearts and the lives of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Look at somebody and let them know that you are glad that they are at Gateway Church on this last Sunday in August. Now look to the person on the other side and and they automatically are going to know that they were your second choice. Let them know that you're glad they're here too. Look at them and say, don't be so prideful. Uh, We want to make you aware of uh, a couple of things uh, the first thing we want you to know is, is that uh, coming up in two weeks, college football started yesterday. Now, there was no games worth watching. Uh, actually, uh, Nebraska did play, and there is one weirdo here that is a Nebraska fan. I have no idea why. Uh, I do know why, and it's out of rebellion, uh, but we can talk about that later. Um, uh, but college football started yesterday. Uh, Pro football will start, uh, I believe, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. But the first Sunday uh, of the NFL season, we have had a tradition of we get together and uh, on that Sunday and we have food and we have uh, a lot of fun. We have some fellowship. Uh, We have cornhole. We have uh, games for the kids. Uh, We have food. Um, uh, Food, did I say that? Uh, so the reality is, how many people you, you don't eat on Sundays? Anybody not eat on Sunday? Good. So that means that you have to eat. So you might as well come eat with us. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, you, what you can do is, uh, number one, you can pray for no rain. Uh, and number two, you can be here. And uh, we, uh, we love getting together. And so that is September the 12th. And it'll be after second service. And uh, we will uh, be gathering together and as we have done uh, and every year, I think, in existence of Gateway, except last year. And we know that 2020 doesn't count. Uh, so, but we're looking forward to that. want to welcome you. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. Uh, we uh, find it 
uh, a privilege that you have chosen to be with us on this Sunday morning. And uh, we look forward to uh, what God's doing in, in your life and in the lives of, of those around you. Uh, last week we started a series on the book of Philippians. And we said for the four weeks we were going to go through, how many, how many people know how many chapters there are in Philippians? Four. It wasn't a trick question. There are four chapters in the book of Philippians. Uh, so what we're doing, uh, last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1. Uh, this week we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. What do you think we're going to look at next week? Yes, uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, we have some, some quick learners. And, uh, and then you can tell school's back in session. And uh, then we have Philippians chapter 4 the following week. Uh, so this week is Philippians chapter 2. We know that life is filled with choices. Life is filled with choices. If we're being honest, there are some choices that just really aren't that important. And then there are some choices that we have to make that have a great effect on our story, a great effect on our life. Uh, as I have uh, went through life and and I, you try to learn from your mistakes. Anybody, you like to learn from your mistakes, right? That's the way that we mature. Uh, I have realized that, that for so long, and sometimes I still do it, I make a mistake. And that mistake is, is that I understand and realize that there are a couple of choices that I can make on Saturday night that will greatly affect how my Sunday goes. The first thing that really makes a difference on my Sunday morning is a choice I make on Saturday night is what I'm going to wear. Laying out my clothes on Saturday. How many people lay out your clothes for Sunday morning on Saturday night? Nobody. Okay, thank you. We have one honest person. Everybody else too prideful uh, to raise your hand. Uh, we'll get to you in a few minutes. Uh, I, uh, I realize that, that sometimes I lay out my clothes. On the Sunday mornings that I do not lay out my clothes, I realize that when I go home and I find about 17 outfits on my bed because I put something on, taking it off. I know that don't, and I know there's no pressure on you, but I'm on TV, okay? So I have to decide what I'm going to, and it's not pride, I have to decide what I'm going to wear. And if I don't, I, I'm running around like a crazy person trying to figure out what I'm going to wear. The second decision I can make on a Saturday night that will greatly enhance my Sunday's morning experience is where we're going to eat after church. How many people stand around for 30 minutes trying to figure out where you're going to eat? And the problem is, is if you're going with a group of people, it makes it that much more difficult because you're trying to please everyone. And you've always got that one person in the crowd. Always that one person. They'll say, you'll say, where do you want to eat? And you've been around them long enough, you know what they're going to say. They're going to say it doesn't matter. And you've been around them long enough to know they're going to say that it doesn't matter, but it really does. And you know that because you'll, you, where you want to eat, I don't care. Well, let's go here. No, I don't want that. Well, let's go here. No, I don't want that. Let's go here. Oh, we had that last week. Come on, am I preaching? Don't look at, the, don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at that people you always ate with. But you know there's always that one person. It is so liberating to walk in on a Sunday morning to that one person and look at them and say, we're eating here. You've already made it up. There's no doubt about it because sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes you stand around for 30 minutes trying to figure out where you're going to eat and finally you get so frustrated you go home and eat a bowl of cereal. And you're mad the rest of the day. So there are some choices in life that we can make that will make our life easier. As we look at other things that maybe are even more important than what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat. There's things and choices in our life that we can make that will dramatically improve it. So last week we started a series that we've entitled, By Choice, Not By Chance. By Choice, 
not by chance. And so what we're looking at over a four-week period is we're looking at how the author of Philippians, Paul, he made choices not determined on his circumstances. No matter what he was facing, after he made the decision to follow Christ, after he took that step to be a Christ follower, to be an ambassador for Christ, from that moment, he made right choices. He chose the right attitude. He chose having joy over discouragement. He chose to have humility over being prideful. He chose to be content, even though sometimes he was lacking. He chose to put his past behind him. And we all know that Paul had a not a real good past before he came to Christ. But he chose to put that behind him and to press on. Paul was always rising above his circumstances. He was always making the right choices. Why? Because he understood that becoming like Christ, it wasn't just going to happen. It was going to take him making some hard, tough choices. Last week we talked about choosing confidence, being joyful. We said that we can be confident in four things. There's four things that Paul talks about in the first chapter of Philippians that we can be confident in. The first thing we can be confident in is is in our Savior. We can have confidence in the one who died for us. We can have confidence in our steps. We know that the Bible tells us that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And sometimes we go through things and it looks like that we're going in a direction and we're going in a way that that doesn't make any sense to us. But we can be confident in knowing that if we're in Christ, He is ordering our steps. We talked about being confident in our struggles. Listen, we all know life is hard. If I would go around this morning and, and ask people, give you a microphone and let you tell us the struggles that you have. We used to do that in church. It was called testimony service. But it always ended up being, uh, a lot of times, uh, you had to talk about the struggle before you could talk about the testimony. And that's the way life is, right? There's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. But we can be confident in knowing that God is in those struggles. That God is in the storm. And that there's reasons for it. And then we talked about being confident in life and death. Paul told us, he said, listen, I'm confident that if I'm here, I'm going to do a good work. I'm going to help promote the gospel of Christ. He said, but whether I live or I die, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because he was confident in life and death. In all of those things, Paul was confident If you didn't get a chance to to listen to last week's sermon, if you were taking that last moment of vacation, or you couldn't be here, I encourage you to to go on the website and and look at being confident, choosing confidence, Philippians chapter 1. This week we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. I want to start out in sort of the middle of the chapter, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Remember, Philippians was a book that was being written to a group of people who were doing it right. Most of the things that Paul wrote and most of the letters that he wrote uh, were written because people were doing things wrong. But, But to the church at Philippi, he said, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So he's praising them. He said, listen, you obeyed when I was here, but when I left... You've even obeyed even more. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we look at this verse and we say, well, what does it mean to work out? Well, we notice that it doesn't say work for, because we know that our salvation doesn't come through anything that we can do. So we don't work for our salvation. It doesn't say work in our salvation, but it says work out your salvation. 
You say, what does that mean? Uh, I believe that, that your salvation is something that you're going to work at, that you're going to, to work out with fear and trembling, and you're going to shape what it looks like. Spiritual maturity isn't something that just happens. Spiritual maturity it isn't something that you're just going to wake up one day and, and say, okay, I'm closer to Christ, I'm more like Christ than I've ever been before. It doesn't just happen. It has to be shaped. It has to be worked on. It has to be worked out. I think about when, you know, there's some funny stories in the Bible. There's some stories that, that, that if you can read them and you start looking at them, you think, man, that, that would have been really funny to be there. I think about when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And he was gone for 40 days. And when he's gone, the people at the bottom, the people that were waiting on him, they become impatient. And so they take all the gold that they have and they, and they, they begin to passion, fashion it into a golden cow, to a calf. And so Moses comes down from, from the mountain and he looks at Aaron and said, I left you in charge. What is going on here? Aaron said, I don't know what happened. We just, we took all of our gold, we threw it in this pot, and it came out looking like a cow. That's funny. Why is it funny? Because I can promise you it just didn't happen that way. It had to be shaped. It had to be formed. Someone had to, to want to, to work it out so that it looked like a cow. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it, it wasn't by chance it was by choice. And the same thing is true in our Christianity. It's not by chance, but it's by choice. In chapter 2, Paul talks about choosing humility. He says it is so important to choose humility over pride. It's important to choose humility over pride. So I want to look at some things about being humble. Now, if you're from southern West Virginia or southern Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, that, that word's not humble, it's humble. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? My grandfather used to say that, Lord, keep me humble. I was like, what happened to the H? It's really humble. But maybe they thought they were more humble by leaving the H out, being humble. If you say humble, I'm sorry. When you're preaching, you can say what you want. You can say humble. I don't care. Because God knows your heart. God knows you have the right motive. That's the first thing about being humble. Humility has the right motive. It has the right motive. Humility starts in your heart. Verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2 says, Then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Paul is saying, listen, we have to protect unity. Humility protects unity. Realizing that it's not about you, but it's about us. Realizing that, that we do not have to promote ourselves. Understanding that, that we need to promote others instead of ourselves. Realizing that it's not a competition with others. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about selfies. And so this week, as I was studying and, and looking at, at, at this verse in Philippians, I thought, well, it goes back to, to the culture of selfies. So I did a little research. Now, I don't know who does this research or how they do it. They never called me and asked me. Uh, that's usually how most research goes. But I realized, and I did a little research, so we're going to go with it. 93 million selfies are taken around the world in one day. Now, it's not your job to, 
get all 93 million, okay? That means 40 billion selfies over a course of a year. Each person averages eight selfies a day. Now you're sitting there thinking, I don't take eight selfies in a day. Believe me, there's people who make up for your lack, okay? The average person will take over 25,000 selfies over a lifetime. Why is that? Because we live our lives saying it's all about me. Look at my outfit. Look at what I'm doing. When humility says it's about us, pride says it's about me. But the Bible is very clear about pride. It talks a lot about pride. What pride can do. We see from the very beginning of time that pride can divide. You say, where do you see that, Pastor? Well, you see that in the very beginning in heaven. Pride divided heaven. If pride can divide heaven, can I tell you that pride will divide your marriage? When you make it all about you and not about us? Can I tell you that pride will divide your relationships? When you make it all about you and not about us? If you're that one person that keeps 10 others from going to a restaurant that they love but you don't like, it's going to hurt that relationship. Those people you hang out with are going to be hoping you don't show up to church so that they can eat at the restaurant they like. It'll hurt your relationships. Pride will divide your family. I hear situations of families, extended families, who don't speak to each other anymore. And when you start digging down, you realize that the very base of the problem and the situation is that five-letter word, pride. It'll divide. The devil wanted to promote himself. He wanted promotion. He tried to push God out of the way. He wanted to be elevated and to be lifted up. And because of it, heaven was divided. And ever since then, the enemy has used that tactic to divide. Ever since then, the enemy has used that tactic to keep us divided as, as people. And as a church, he tries to divide us. So as we begin to look at the book of Philippians, we know that humility will protect unity. Humility will protect the unity that we can have with each other. And when we don't have that, it becomes an issue. It becomes a problem. Humility has the right mindset. It has the right mindset. The Bible tells us that, that, first of all, it happens in our heart, and then it has to take place in our mind. It's about the way that we think. It's about the way that we allow the enemy to affect our lives through our minds. The way that we see ourselves. The way that we see ourselves determines our humility. It determines the way that things go. It has the right mindset. Humility starts with security. You see, that's the problem. If you don't know who you are, if you don't realize who you are, you're always going to be trying to prove who you are. You're always going to be trying to promote yourself. When we look at Jesus, we understand that Jesus was sure of who he was. And when we look at humility, we understand that humility isn't looking down at yourself but it's coming down from yourself. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? Paul says, Who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So here we have Jesus. What we're seeing in him is, is that before we see his humility, we see his security. Paul says Jesus knew who he was. He understood who he was. And that's where it starts. That's where it begins. If you're a child of God, can I tell you that there's no greater title that you can achieve. If you're a child of God, there's nothing more on this earth that you can achieve that is greater than being a child of God. Why? Because all of those things are temporary. (laughs) All of those things are temporary. But if you're a child of God, you understand and you realize that because of that, you can go low. Because of that, you can humble yourself. But you cannot do that until you realize how high you actually are. How high are you? You're the son of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of the king. There's no thing greater than you can be called. Verse 7, Paul says this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So in other words, Paul is saying, Jesus realized who he was. And because of that, He took off deity, and he became like you, and he became like me. He wasn't above identifying with someone else. Humility will allow you to get on someone's level. Humility will allow you to start to identify with someone else. And when we look at Jesus, we understand that we have a high priest that can identify with us. We have a high priest who put on flesh. We have a high priest who was tempted, who was betrayed, who was abandoned. And through all of that, he still knew who he was. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. And he's interceding for us. And what is he saying? What is he doing? He's telling God, I I understand where they are. I understand what they're going through. I understand how they feel. Why can he do that? Because he identified with us. He took off deity and he identified with us. He's not judging us. But he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He's there for us, making intercession. He took off deity. He put on flesh for that purpose and that purpose alone. You say, well, is that all he did? No, he even went lower. He even went lower. It says he took off deity so that he could identify with us, and then he became a servant. We remember right before he was to go to the cross, the Last Supper, how that Jesus sort of just summed up the whole reason that he came. He said he came to serve, not to be served. He became a servant. And in that moment, he grabbed a towel and he washed the dirty, stinky feet of 12 men. Everyone was blown away. Here he is washing their feet. He couldn't get any lower in that moment. But he was able to do that because he knew how high he was. What was he saying in that moment? He's saying, listen, none of you are above serving. None of us are above serving. I mean, if Jesus, Son of God, wasn't above it. He washed their feet. And then he sat down and told them, he said, I'm your Lord. I washed your feet. Do you think you can do that for someone else? Can you become a servant? You think, well, that's as low as he could go, right? Being a servant. He didn't stop there. Verse 8 goes on to tell us that he went even lower. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What was he saying through that? He was saying, not only am I a servant, he said, I'm submissive. I'm submissive. He was equal with God. And he said, God, even though I'm equal with you, I'm going to submit 
to you. This morning we have to realize that none of us are above submitting to someone else. I mean, we read what happened. Jesus looked, prayed to the Father and he says, God, I, Father, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to suffer through this. I really don't want to go to the cross. But if you want me to, I will. What was he doing? He was surrendering himself. We talk about and we think about why, why do people lift their hands in worship? Why do we do that? Does it, does it draw us closer to God? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, is God looking down? No, it's just a sign of I'm surrendering. God, I'm surrendering to you. God, I'm surrendering to your will in my life. God, I'm humbling myself. I'm choosing humility because pride would tell me that, that I can do it on my own. When humility says I need to submit to God. I need to submit to His Word and to His will. None of us are above being submitted to God or submitting to someone else. Everyone needs someone who they're submitted to. And then if you think that wasn't low enough, we see that Jesus went one step lower. It says He died on the cross. What was He saying in that? He was saying that if I, the Son of God, am willing to sacrifice, if I'm willing to, to humble myself to hang on that cursed tree that we sang about a few minutes ago, if I'm willing to, to humble myself, to step away from my pride, the, the Bible says that, that he could have called 10,000 angels. That would have been the prideful thing to do. But he said, no, I'm willing to sacrifice and if he's willing to sacrifice, none of us are above sacrificing. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be like me, what do they have to do? They have to take up their cross and follow me daily. None of us are exempt from it. If we want to be like Christ, we have to be willing to sacrifice. You see, God's kingdom is different than the world. Because in the world, the way that you are lifted up is by promoting yourself. The way that you're lifted up is, is by tooting your own horn. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. In the kingdom of God, the way up in God's kingdom is actually down. Humility doesn't come to demote you. Being humble doesn't demotes you. Let me tell you what it does. It promotes you. It promotes you. Those people who are serving, who are sacrificing, they're the ones that get promoted. Verse 9, Paul writes, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So here Jesus is. He's taken off Deity put on flesh. He's served. He's sacrificed. And what happened in the kingdom? It says God made him great. God made him great. God exalted him. Given him gave him the name that is above every name. Gave him a name at which every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. Why is that? It's because he was willing to choose humility over pride. You know what makes you great? It's not fame. Humility gives you influence. Humble people have great influence. Someone who's willing to serve, someone who's willing to sacrifice, someone who's willing to be and choose humility, they have influence with the world. Why? Because the world, let's just be honest, people who aren't followers of Christ, a lot of times when they look at Christians, a lot of times when they look at the church, what they see are people filled with pride. People who look down on them. But you get someone who says, I'm a Christ follower, 
and they're willing to get their hands dirty. Someone who, who says, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to, to, to identify with you. Those people have influence because they've been willing to choose humility. Their name is empowered because they've chosen humility. God's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. Your power and your influence doesn't come from your success, but it comes from humility. And if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. What happened to Jesus? You want validation? You want influence? Choose humility over pride. Because in God's kingdom, it was designed for promotion. It has the right mindset. Thirdly, humility has the right mentor. The right mentor. Someone that not only applauds you, but can call you out on things. There's a lot of people and a lot of us that there's, there's times in our life that we think we have all the answers. But we need someone in our lives to mentor us. Even as pastor of this church, I need a pastor. I need someone that I can go to. I need someone that that is willing to speak into my life. Someone to to mentor me. Because what happens is, is a lot of times, is we get so puffed up in ourselves. We become so prideful. You know what Solomon says? Solomon says that pride will come and then destruction. And having the right mentor means that we have someone who we're allowing to speak into our lives that will step in and keep us from going down that path and that path of destruction. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, Paul tells the Philippian church about someone who he's been mentoring. He tells them about Timothy. And in verse 22... He's writing this, he says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now we understand and realize that that, that Paul and Timothy were not father and son. But Timothy had been willing to submit himself and had allowed Paul to speak into his life. So spiritually they become like father and son. Timothy, Timothy was willing to listen to Paul, to allow Paul to speak into his life. Can I tell you that being humble means that you're teachable? Being humble means being teachable. You ever been around somebody, maybe done work with somebody, that there was only one way to do it and it was their way, and there was no ifs, ands, or buts, this was the way it's going to be done, and, and you could say, listen, here's a better way to do that. And they would look at you like you were crazy because they were, you were saying, hey, listen, I'm not teachable. I don't, my way is the right way. But being humble means being teachable. Being humble means show me what I'm doing wrong. Show me where I'm headed for destruction. You have to have people in your life that you know that speaking into your life And you have to know that they have your best interest at heart. Now listen, there are people that want to speak into your life. And unfortunately, we've allowed them to speak into our life. But they are not looking out for your best interest. They are looking out for themselves. And they speak into your life. And and sometimes you listen to them not realizing and understanding that it's not your best interest. And they don't really care about you. We look at a story in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar created uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon. One day, he had this dream that a tree went up into the heavens. and Fruit was abundant and birds were everywhere and it filled the earth. And in this dream, he hears an angel say, cut that tree down and leave its stump. And let it be there for seven years before it begins to grow again. He was awakened and he was so disturbed about this dream that he called for someone who worked for him. 
name was Daniel. And he called for Daniel because he knew that Daniel, even though he worked for him, wasn't afraid to tell him the truth. Even though Nebuchadnezzar could have had Daniel put to death, he knew that Daniel would tell him the truth. And so he calls for Daniel and he says, tell me what this means. Daniel, in that moment, was speaking into the life of Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I wish I could tell you that this dream was for your enemies. But friend, it's for you. You don't see it, but you're that earth. You're that tree that has filled the earth. You have so many accomplishments. People look to you. Daniel said, but you need to humble yourself. You need to change your ways. I'm begging you, change your ways. Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. He was so filled with pride. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, he began to lose his mind. All of a sudden, he was reduced to nothing for seven years. And then he repented. God restored him. And at the end of the chapter, he said, I had to learn the hard way. I should have listened. I should have humbled myself. Daniel had Nebuchadnezzar's best interest. And can I tell you that just like that, that, that God has our best interest at heart? God wants us to succeed. And sometimes you, you, you will maybe even hear an audible voice from God, but sometimes you have to understand and realize that God puts people in your life who truly have your best interest in mind. And they want to speak into your life. And those, can I say stupid? The stupidest thing you can do is identify someone that wants your best interest and not listen because you're too prideful. I can do it my way. Even though you know that your way has never, ever worked. God will put people in your life, but you can't be too prideful to listen. Being a... Man, I'm about to get on a... Let me see if I've got time to get on a tangent. My watch says I should be done in 30 seconds. Uh Uh-oh. Reset. Kids' church loves it when I reset. One of the most frustrating things... You see, it didn't stop me. One of the most frustrating things, being a pastor, dealing with people, is knowing that you truly have their best interest at heart and them not listening. And maybe not even being a pastor. Maybe you have that kind of heart, but people won't listen. It's so frustrating. And I challenge you today, have someone that speaks into your life and listen to them. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. If you want to be like Christ, you you have to choose humility. Motive. It has the right, you have to have the right motive. You have to, to have the right mindset. You have to have the right mentor. Pride will destroy you. It's been true since the very beginning of time. It'll destroy you. And the enemy realizes it. The enemy knows. He knows what caused him to fall. And that's why he uses it, because he knows it's effective. You know one of the greatest signs of pride in someone's life? When they're too proud to admit that they are proud. Someone who won't admit that they really need to humble themselves. And as I was praying this week and thinking, God, what would you have us to do? How, how can we... Because it's one thing to come into a place like this or, or to listen to a sermon and to hear the Word of God. And it's a completely different thing to apply it. 
And so what we try to do here is is we want to give you the Word of God, but we also want you to be able to apply it to your life. Because just hearing it and not doing it, you see, it works together. It's like walking up to, to a mirror and saying, man, I've got stuff all over my face. It's a mess. There's Doritos from two days ago right there in the corner. And you look at it, you know that your face is dirty. You've got the rag right there, the water and the soap to to clean it off. You look at it and you say, I'll do it later. And you walk away with, and then the next time you look in the mirror, it's four days old. And the longer you leave it, the harder it gets to clean. That's the way it is with the Word of God. If you can take care of it before it gets too bad, it's like mowing your grass. It's a whole lot harder to mow when it's up this high, right? The same thing's true in our lives. God will bring things in attention into our attention attention and he says you have the opportunity to apply what I'm telling you to your life so as I begin to look at God how can we apply this uh, I was drawn back to to 2nd Chronicles when the Bible says if my people called by my name shall Humble themselves. Seek my face. Pray. Turn from their wicked ways. He said, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sin. Then I'll heal their land. I believe that God is a God of order. And I I do not believe that anything that's written in Scripture is out of order. In other words, in that scripture, the very first thing that he said that we must do is humble ourselves. Because if you're not humble, you're not going to seek his face. If you're not humble, you're not going to pray. If you're not humble, you're not going to turn from your wicked ways. So being humble is the first step to God healing our land. And as we begin to look at what's going on, not only in the world, we look at at, uh, militarily, Afghanistan, Taliban, all of that stuff that's going on. Yeah, we definitely need to humble ourselves. We need to pray. But can I also tell you that uh, this sickness, this virus that has has gripped, once again, it has gripped our nation. There are people all around us that are fighting for their lives. There are people that I know that are laying in a hospital bed right now as we're sitting here. And so my way that we can apply this to our lives is by looking at that verse and saying, God, I'm humbling myself. I'm seeking your face. I'm praying because I need and we want our land to be healed, not only physically but spiritually. It needs to be healed. So as we close this service, as Nick plays and sings, I'm going to ask you, if you're watching online, I'm going to ask you just to maybe kneel wherever you are. But those of you who are here with us today, I'm going to ask you, either at your seat, or come to this altar. It would be awesome to see this altar filled 
with people humbling themselves before God and asking God, God, help take away my pride. Why? Because I want to have influence in this world. I want to humble myself. I want to have influence. So as you stand, as Nick plays, and I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. Join me at this altar. Join me in a moment and a time of humbling ourselves, asking God to do something that we can't do, and that's to heal our land. Pray for sickness. Pray for our nation. Pray for our community. As we humble ourselves before Him, could you do that with me right now?